Welcome to $20 a Day, the podcast where we discuss the holodeck episodes of the Star Trek franchise. Uh, I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And uh, this time on $20 a Day, we're going even farther afield uh, from our original focus on the uh, the detective holodeck episodes of the Next Generation era. Yes. And taking a trip to uh, Star Trek Voyager and the world of Captain Proton in Voyager Season 5, Episode 12, Bride of Chaotica. This is uh, Voyager's you... Um, or no, sorry, not Voyager's. Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. Voyager's with an exclamation point is a different, yeah. is a different show. Uh <laughs> it fell to me to choose this ep- to choose an episode and then i deferred to you to give me options <laughs> and then i chose this one cuz i remember this one i re- I, mm-hmm. I don't remember i didn't remember like all of it but i remember you know enjoying it uh this takes place uh deep in season 5 mm-hmm. so uh in the last quarter of the voyager run which i think is kind of important to the enjoyment of this episode yeah. because uh so you need i think a a a a core element of this episode is taking Janeway out of her element and mm-hmm. putting her in uh the role that she has to adopt to do this right yeah so i feel like i must have seen this because i know for a fact that i watched voyager like i started a full watch a voyager at some point and i made it through the middle of the sixth season mm-hmm. and then i kind of fell off um i think that's where i am too that's a lot of voyager and like yeah there's only seven <laughs> only I mean, there's seven seasons but for some reason like i feel like the highs of voyager are very high like like the mm-hmm. good episodes are very good and i like the premise of voyager a lot i do feel like it kind of ended up in the i think this is in in, in uh, uh the same vein as you were saying how like being deep in the middle of the season kind of matters for this. Cause it's like, yeah, I feel like a lot of, I, I feel like this is very much a uh, story of the week phase of the show. And the show is mm-hmm. always more, the show is always more like next generation than, a, than like DS nine. Right. Right. Which is fine. Um, but there is a lot, there are a lot of, here's the wacky adventure of this week. And here's the wacky adventure of this week. And this is very much a, let's go on an extra wacky adventure for this particular, uh, yeah. this particular episode. It's funny you should mention it because like I logged into Netflix to watch this and, uh, went to Voyager and it put me right in the middle of season six yeah. because that's where I'd left off. Same. And I was like, <laughs> It might be early season six. I might have watched the the first couple episodes like two years ago and then just faded yeah. into something else. I don't think we stopped for any particular reason. I don't there's nothing keeping us from going back. I think mm-hmm. it was just like like you said, there's a lot there. We had already done five seasons of the show right. and then we were just moving on to watching other things. Um, this was a, a seven season show that probably could have been five seasons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like cut, cutting out some of the dead weight. Yeah. I, I liked Voyager it, it, as a whole. I'm, mm-hmm. um, one of my favorite things about Voyager is sort of the arc of Janeway. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. th- we joke about, you could tell, how far along they are in the series. And if she was drinking, I think she started off drinking vegetable broth. <laughs> that was her, her, you know, cause obviously since Picard, you know, Earl Grey hot, mm-hmm. that like that was his thing. Since then, every Star Trek 
Captain has to have a, a drink. Right. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. But Janeway's was, was vegetable broth because, you know, oh, it's nice and warm and comforting. And then at some point partway through, that becomes black coffee. Right. Like, I need to stay mm-hmm. awake to keep this crew alive. <laughs> and there's a little bit about that in this um, that we'll get to. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but it's fun. I know that uh, Tom Paris is maybe not everyone's favorite character. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of central to, uh, I'm just trying to be super diplomatic, despite the fact that the actor uh, was one of the leads in the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe <laughs> uh, movie. Uh, for some reason, people didn't quite uh, care for him in Voyager. But I don't think he he's egregious in this at all. No, he's fine. I think my, my thing with... <laughs> I don't particularly like Tom Parrott. Like, of the Voyager crew, he's yeah. kind of, like, dead dead center. Like, he's not the worst, but I like most of the other characters more than him. So maybe lower than center is what... Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's not... Unless your your chart is a V. Right, right? yeah, yeah, And yeah. the center is the... Anyways, go on. We'll add a diagram. It's in, it's a subspace uh, mm-hmm. relationship. You know, there's different layers of reality. <laughs> um, no, but I think it's more about, like, the... I, he never... I don't know if it's the actor or if it's here's how this character is and he's just really good at inhabiting that but like he seems like a person saying lines to me most of the time he doesn't seem like he inhabits the same universe as everyone else just like as a character to me and maybe it's that that's just from an, an, an early impression that just carried through their whole rest of the series but yeah all right so let's let's do a tom paris deep dive welcome okay. to the tom paris the paris accord the paris accord. nice that's good that's that's our spin-off pon- podcast all about yeah. tom paris the paris accord yes yeah uh no i i agree like um the impression i get is that he's supposed to have an ironic distance yeah that most of the others don't and that's i think in opposition to um Harry Kim, Mm -hmm. who has uh, not a golly gee willikers thing going, but like a little more of a... uh, He's he's more earnest and more invested in like being the kind of person that he sees his role models as being, I guess. Which is itself kind of ironic because Harry Kim also not very interesting to me. (laughs) (laughs) I So Harry Kim's interesting to me in so far as uh, I think he has seen more dark stuff yeah, that's, than anyone else. That's true. So the Harry Kim, by this time, this Harry Kim is from a different universe wherein his entire crew has died. Mm-hmm. And the Harry Kim of this universe has died and they swapped. So there's an episode where that happened, where they've just replaced their Harry Kim with a Harry Kim from a ship, a parallel ship, wherein all the rest of the crew has perished. And then it's never talked of again. Yeah, like many Star Trek things, this huge character-defining universe, right. universe-relevant thing that is never spoken of again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, we, and I'm, I think I've, I may have brought this up before, but like Tom Paris and uh, Janeway, right? They turn into like lizards, into lizards that like <laughs> started all of evolution or something. Or so they, they, they definitely bred. Mm-hmm. And so there are, they have. Lizard, space lizard children out there somewhere. Right. Uh, and again, n- nobody acknowledges any of that uh, because how could you? Right. Like you, you can't look at that. That's the thing you can't, you can't internalize them. So um, one of the things I really like about Voyager is just 
how bizarro this stuff goes. It's a little like kind of comic booky, right? Where it's like, yeah. here's this weird, crazy thing that happened two issues ago, and it is not relevant because we just reset every, yeah. you know, every <laughs> issue is for a fresh audience, and they don't need to go back and learn the continuity. Like, there's no point. There is like, there is like a, a sort of continuity here in case any of our listeners uh haven't watched any voyagers what voyager oh my god i'm gonna keep doing that i happen to be watching a lot of voyagers Mm -hmm. lately uh in case any of our listeners haven't watched voyager recently one of the sort of contextual things to kind of understand what's going on here is that the premise of the show is that it's a ship that was thrown into a whole nother quadrant of the galaxy or Mm -hmm. universe i I'm not entirely sure what the scale of Star Trek is. I'm a bad sci-fi geek. But um, so that they're out of touch with with humanity, the Federation. They can't get back to that or they're trying to get back home. At their top speed, it will take hundreds of years to return to their section of space. Yeah. But but they're still going to try, right? Because that's what that's right. what a good captain does. And separated from the Starfleet that way, mm-hmm. they they have to operate in a way that other Star Trek vessels don't. Because other Star Trek vessels go into dry dock and get repaired, and other Star Trek vessels get resupplies. Mm-hmm. Almost all the time, it's off screen, right? Like it's between episodes or whatever. But that's not the case with the Voyager. Voyager is kind of limping along they're mm. they're constantly uh, at war with you know species they've never uh ran into before and then they have to repair their ship um i think at this time part of their ship has borg technology to keep it running probably and, yeah because this is well into after seven of nine has been introduced and yeah they don't have supplies like they right. they have they, they have uh, power concerns. They they have to do like real resource management, and that's a lot yeah. of the episodes are concerned about. We're out of this thing. How are we going right. to get more? And that is what leads into you know whatever yeah hijinks ensue. And and that's in the background of this episode, and it actually has some of the more interesting bits I think about this episode. We'll talk about that when we get to it. What's interesting to me about the the best episodes of Voyager is how that extends to the um. The ethical and logistical concerns of Janeway and her crew. Yes. She's the only authority, basically. Like, yeah. other other captains can talk to Starfleet, can right. get an admiral involved or bounce a concern off of the, whatever, the Federation Council or, or whatever. And she can't. She can't communicate with anyone. So all she has is, like, Starfleet regulations that she has to interpret. She's basically, she's, she's like a, this is a little grandiose, but like, she's like a Pope where God is dead. Yeah. (laughs) She still has to maintain this flock, but the authority that she can appeal to is just blank. Like just has no way of contacting. So her interpretations carry more weight than another captain's might, which is concerning in some episodes where they don't care about that. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> mm, that seems like a weird choice. Um, in this episode, it's a little. There's some weird choices in this episode. Yeah. I want I want to talk about them when we get to them okay, because okay. I think. But I'm glad you brought that up because that is definitely an important part of it. And I think the other sort of uh, little attached detail is that they are probably, and I know it's hard to tell, but like they're probably encountering 
brand new life forms that the Federation have never encountered right. at a rate that is just beyond what yeah. the whole Starfleet mission was built for, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they, they're out of scope for what they're... And I don't think the show emphasizes that too much, but I think it does show up. And like, this is definitely one of those yeah, ones yeah. where where that shows up. All right. So I think that's probably enough preamble. Uh, as, as we say, we should get into it. Um, yeah. This episode, the story and uh, half of the teleplay credit is Brian Fuller. Uh, Brian Fuller is a very well-known showrunner who has done all of these shows that my friends love and I have never seen, such as Hannibal. Um, right, yeah. But I guess he got his start on DS9 and Voyager as a, like, creative voice. So I, my understanding is that the Brian Fuller fans out there have a conception of the Brian Fuller verse where all of his shows are kind of in the same world. I don't know if that mm-hmm. extends to a Star Trek work, but uh, if any of them do, you know, let us know. Uh, yeah. I'd like to see what whatever episode of Pushing Daisies has a relationship with this holodeck episode. That, that would be great. The other teleplay credit is Michael Taylor, who is another DS9 slash Voyager person um, who worked with Brian Fuller a lot, according to the credits that I was able to dig up. Um, And this episode is directed, I think, with, I was going to say with some flair, but also with some, like, (laughs) tongue-in-cheek-ness by uh, Alan Croker who directed 38 total episodes of Star Trek, including the series finales of DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. Oh, wow. If you want to end a Star Trek show, yeah, you get him. <laughs> also, interestingly, two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series. Oh, well then, hold on. <laughs> you just... Now you're interested. Yeah. This whole episode is very much a fun episode, right? Like, yeah. the actors are having fun. The way that it is written and shot and everything is like, let's have a fun one. Yeah. The the stakes are not particularly... Di- like, I think this is kind of the thing about Voyager where it's like, because the stakes are kind of always like, well, if this doesn't go well, we're just dead in space. Right. Yes. Those are kind of like (laughs) the default stakes of every episode. If the thing that we need to happen doesn't happen, we're just dead. So this doesn't really change those. Therefore, it doesn't feel like it has any higher stakes than any other episode, even though those are themselves, you know, fairly dire. I got he directed maybe my favorite episode of Friday the 13th, the series, The Long Road Home. And I just want to say that I just want to put that out there. Uh, I don't know how much of his direction makes it my favorite. Part of why it's my favorite is that it's it breaks the formula of that show in an in a very interesting way where it sort of does it it starts where all the other episodes would normally end in that mm. formula and then it goes on to be kind of a uh Texas Chainsaw Massacre style <laughs> <laughs> homage and I really enjoy that. Nice. All right. Sorry. I'm back with you. All right. And I agree with everything you just said. Hello, listeners. This is a quick break before we get into the episode to say thank you to our patrons over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. This show is free to all, but the support from patrons really goes a long way. So we always extend a special thanks to our gumshoes. This time we say thank you to Chuck from whatyoureading.com. Check out the site for reviews of books, games, movies, comics, and more. Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops, Serial Killers of Color at fruitloopspod.com. Shane Liebling, you're playing games online, so check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party at rollforyear.party. Jay Adon, 
Check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at jadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Kip Hawley, and Dave Otterson. And finally, we cannot thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Big thanks to Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get plus expenses. A bonus podcast where we casually chat about all the media we're currently enjoying and things going on in our lives. Help out the show by leaving a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Uh, so, like all Star Trek episodes, we start with our cold open, uh, which has a delightful title screen in black and white, <laughs> The Adventures of Captain Proton, Chapter 18, Bride of Chaotica, exclamation point. Uh, I will note that the Memory Alpha entry has the exclamation point, but the IMDb entry does not. Um, oh. So I'm going to go with, with Memory Alpha on... Uh, you know, on this kind of stuff. But in case you're trying to look it up, this is the one with the exclamation point. <laughs> Not the other bride of a chaotic. Uh, so everything is black and white. So, you know, for those of us who have been watching the show, Captain Proton has come up before. It is yeah. Tom Paris's uh, kind of serial sci-fi Flash Gordon yeah. send-up um, holodeck adventure. Holodeck adventures are a little weird to me, uh, given how scripted they are. <laughs> Well, so this, I think, is technically a what they call in the show a hollow novel. Oh, okay. Which so comes just... up other times. Yeah. Um, but anyway, this is cheesy sci-fi um, yeah. of, like, the 30s and 40s is what they keep referencing the, the yeah. of the 20th century, right? But uh, Chaotica, or Dr. Chaotica? Dr. Chaotica. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Chaotica is the villain. He has Captain Proton's quote, secretary, Miss Goodhart, <laughs> tied up and is going to sacrifice her to Queen Arachnia. So there's a little recap, and then we go to Harry Kim and Tom Paris in the hollow novel as Captain Proton and whoever Harry Kim is supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and we get a little lampshading where he's like, We didn't burst into flames in the last chapter. Why are these recaps always so inaccurate? Well, they brought people back to the theaters. Cliffhangers. The lost art of hyperbole. Kind of like this little bit here uh, because I it it does this thing where it tells me that the people the who wrote this episode have actually watched Flash Gordon serials right rather than have absorbed it through osmosis through the uh, because yeah that that is how they are you you see the the beginning of the next episode and you're like that's not where we left off <laughs> right the thing that in the previous episode that was so dire is just done. They just finished it. We've moved on. Yeah, we moved on. So once uh, Tom Paris explains this to Harry, he starts hamming it up um, as they discuss yeah. what they're going to uh, what they're going to do in the episode. They're like, "Here are the story beats of this episode of this hollow novel." Um, he is very excited to free uh, what they call Chaotica's harem, which is a little like, mm. yeah. yeah. There's a little bit of that when it comes to all of this, but yeah, yeah, especially those two. 
Tom Paris and Harry Kim. As a Voyager watcher, Harry Kim has this very frustrated sexual energy that he doesn't know how to yeah. deal with, which kind of becomes his only character trait at times and is not great. It's not great. There's this whole bit about these sisters that mm. they oh, try yeah. to date. And I'm like, can you imagine being trapped on a starship, let alone one so far from home, you'll die before you get home. Right. And then you, <laughs> like, have, to, this is... and then you have to deal with Harry Kim trying to date you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> nothing against the guy, but just like, you no, know, th- that's that's definitely part of this um, unexamined yeah yeah aspect of this uh and and yeah that definitely comes up when he's like tell me more about the slave girls right like, okay oh boy we'll let that go thankfully it doesn't come up again really like i mean it's just that line but it's like oh yeah harry kim maybe we'll just contrast because we don't see her she's not really a character but this Goodhart, who is this like buxom hollywood yeah. blonde who just screams all the time that's her only line that's her only line <laughs> screaming so that's presented as an element of the hollow novel, right? Yeah. Which is kind of like, well, this is just the kinds of stories that these were about. And then Harry Kim's like, yeah, let's have more of that kind of story. And it's like, come on, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think around this time last year, we got into this uh, with another, if you remember when we did an episode of this podcast about uh, the Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heist, the heist one. Yeah, what what's the name of uh, Vic? No, not Vic. Yeah, Vic Vic Fontaine. Vic Fontaine, yes. Uh, and and Captain Cisco, right, g- goes into like, okay, this fiction that you're enjoying, mm-hmm. it's a product of its time, and that makes it problematic, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> a, know, it's a like, product of a racially segregated time, and celebrating it isn't something I'm interested in. And there's yeah. like dialogue about that. Yeah, and we don't get that here. Yeah, this is not examined <laughs> in that, and it's we are spending way more time on it than the episode does. Um, mm, yes, yeah. it's, it's a throwaway line, and then we move on to the plot, which is um, uh, the ground starts shaking, even though there's not supposed to be a volcano in this one, and then they see some glowing energy in color coming yes. kind of through the holodeck. We end our cold open on an ominous, definitely not chaotica. We have our credits, which are a, a lovely orchestral score of the uh, yeah. the Voyager credits. I haven't heard it for a while, so I did not skip. I let it play. I was like, oh, yeah, I like the Voyager credits. <laughs> um, so uh, when we get into our, our episode proper, we're cutting back and forth from the holodeck to the bridge. On the holodeck, right. of course, they can't end the program. The controls are offline. And they can't raise the bridge. So they have yes. to go back to Proton's rocket to find the manual overrides, because that's where the hatch is, I guess. Um, yeah. On the bridge, uh, Voyager has dropped out of warp for an unknown reason, and gravimetric forces are interfering with their warp power. And they're losing systems all over the ship, including communications and, uh, you know, presumably holodeck controls. Yeah. Back on the holodeck... Uh, Getting back to their rocket, they're interrupted by Chaotica's goons, um, including a a main goon in a big headdress, Lonzac, yes. and then a couple a couple uh, uh, I would call them red shirts, but that seems a little uh, inappropriate in the black and white universe. Hold on, let's talk about that for a second then. <laughs> Because, okay, now that I know where I am in my notes, <laughs> okay. the, the things that I wanted to say, they're related to this a little bit. Uh, there's a moment where Harry Kim makes a uh, comment. It says, Planet X looks kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. And they make they talk about how the, oh, yeah. the 
couldn't afford extra sets or whatever. It's the same set as the last adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's got to be a comment on oh, early yeah. Trek as well. Like Absolutely. Because not only does it look familiar, it looks a lot like early Trek. And it mm-hmm. also looks a lot like places they've been in Voyager. Like this is a very common planet scape in Voyager. So apparently, uh, according to Memory Alpha, one reason this episode exists, like one reason it was written to have so much of it be on the holodeck, is that the main portions of the main Voyager set were damaged in a fire. And so hmm. they, in order to like get those repaired and everything, they, they couldn't have the full production schedules on them for some amount of time during this uh, season. And I watched the next episode too. I just kind of let it play after I was done with my notes. And the next episode takes place almost entirely in flashback and on a planet. Uh, Apparently not super serious, but like a light exploded and set some of the set on fire. And then the sprinkler system damaged stuff. And uh, replacing yeah. all the damaged stuff is what, you know, kept them from, from using the sets. Well, that's good. The other note I want to point out, this, I think, is maybe my favorite Tom Paris moment. And mm-hmm. that's when these shimmering blue lights show up and they realize it's contact with an alien species or something. This isn't the holodeck. This isn't the holodeck. Tom's reaction. I don't. I didn't write down the exact words he said, but his, how he his his demeanor during it was how utterly disappointed he was that he would have to return to his day job yeah. of dealing with these strange and wondrous new worlds <laughs> instead of continuing with this holodeck mm-hmm. of this old space fantasy. Right. So it just it was. I I that part I found quite humorous. I don't know how intentional any of it was, but it just had this feel of like, ah, yeah, it's good. Got to go back to the best job in the world. Um, when Lonzak shows up, his line is, "You thought I perished in the den of crocodiles." <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, our heroes shoot down the goons with their ray guns uh, so that yeah. they can get back to the rocket. They cannot disengage the program even with the manual overrides, and the distortions keep growing. But Tom can get access to the transporter, so they can do a site-to-site transport. Um, yeah. To get off, uh, get off the holodeck, which is great. And also, I probably spent the first three seasons of Voyager thinking they called it a side-to-side transport. Oh which, yeah, which also makes sense. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about those uh, site-to-site transports uh, a little later on um, because I have a, I have a theory about them that this episode kind of blows holes through okay we'll we'll get to that so apparently uh they have entered a layer of subspace that is disrupting their warp field and no matter how hot they push the engine they cannot get get out of this subspace layer um all right so once once off the holodeck uh the crew gathers in astrometrics to analyze the situation i'm looking at my notes i'm like how much of this is actually important um right yeah the uh, metaphor they use is that they've run aground on a subspace sandbar. Yeah. And so they're, they're stuck on this region of subspace. Uh, Janeway is recalling analogous situations, uh, like navigating through a protostar or whatever, or a <laughs> nebula or something, um, where their own warp field generates resistance so they have to shut the, the engines down in order to move. Seven of Nine jumps on that with the offering the solution that, that Janeway was building up to. The holodeck dis- distortions are dismissed as random energy fluctuations with no relationship to what their situation yes. is. The casual dismissal of stuff like that on Star Trek always amuses me because it's like, uh, I might have said this when we did our uh, 
in that same DS9 episode, but it's like, after a certain point, as a captain or a commander or something, I would have a checklist, right, of like, yeah, okay, yeah. something is happening. <laughs> are there random an- energy fluctuations? Is there a space virus? Are we... Yes caught in some kind of field like just like check 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 and then like whatever's unchecked you're like okay we have weird variations here we're stuck in a place here hmm how many times do we go through this kind of thing and those aren't related right <laughs> obviously we're not seeing the off-screen stuff like it could be that this stuff happens all the time sure but yeah i i am with you with it one of the things that i enjoy now that i don't think i've ever really enjoyed in star trek not i had no it just didn't matter to me one way or the other. Uh-huh. But there's a point where Janeway's like, okay, shut down the power to this, this, and this, and increase power to the structural integrity field. <laughs> and I, as a homeowner, I have to say, <laughs> if I could just switch the power to the structural integrity field, say during a windstorm, mm-hmm. or, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, yeah, just something that increases the structural integrity of, of the object I'm in. Like you, you can run your lights at 50% power if it means that you can add a little structural integrity during yeah. key moments. Like, that's okay. We'll pull out the candles and we'll light those and we'll shift all the power to the sump pump <laughs> and to the structural integrity field so we don't lose any shingles. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. If only. That would be such a delight. So I look forward to the Star Trek future right. for that alone. We go back to the holodeck to witness an entirely hollow scene where this is yes. all hollow characters interacting. So first it's weird that it's still running, but they couldn't shut it down. So whatever. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, the text editors from the seventies I've been playing with, <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Two of the energy distortions transform into gangster looking characters with angled faces and fedoras. Yeah. I wrote down G men a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but also, like Men in Black, mm-hmm. right? Before the the movie, mm-hmm. this is sort of what Men in Black were said to have looked like. Oh, interesting. Nondescript uh, government, you know, in suits and things like that. Yeah, I kind of, I read them as gangsters, but maybe it was just the hats. Yeah, the hats definitely uh, play into that. But um, I think uh, part of this, okay, so... One way to read this episode is to think of it as a clash in eras of sci-fi. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this is the clash of the, the black and white where it's the 30s versus the sort of 50s, like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, they're more they're more Twilight Zone. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. They're not from another planet. They're from another dimension. Right. So these are, these are as we will learn, these uh, photonic aliens that are taking this form because they they have discovered well so so they 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 coalesce into these these like kind of g-men as you say yeah and then the chaotica goons who are no longer shot down by ray guns because it's pulp sci-fi show up (laughs) again and they seize them as if they're part of the program yeah they're seeing these visitors as part of their internal world Right. Lonzak uh, comes to uh, Chaotica and tells them that Proton escaped, but he captured some prisoners who claim they're from another dimension. <laughs> they bring them in to, uh, to, to bow at the feet of Chaotica, who is played with devilish glee. Yeah. Uh, with the full, like, widow's peak, bl- slicked down hair, uh, 
uh, lightning bolts on his sleeves, kind of like big puffy robe, uh, you know, ruler of the universe kind of uh, kind of look. Yeah, he's he's definitely uh, a Ming the Merciless yeah. character. Uh, he wants to know why these these visitors have invaded his planet, and they say that they're here to contact and learn from other photonic life forms. Yes. They are explorers. That that word photonic is very important, as uh, we will get to. There's a great line where they're just like, we intend no harm. It's just yeah. like the, um, it's a great classic sci-fi moment or whatever. Uh, it's interesting that they should specify photonic when later it's established that they don't know of biochemical <laughs> life forms. Right, uh, yeah. It's possible that there's yet another type of life form you know sure but like yeah like the enterprise doesn't go around being like we are trying to make contact with other biochemical life yeah (laughs) i mean i think that is a plot convenient you know that is a giving us that word photonic so that when it comes back later we we know what's going on so we know that they're photonic right right that's the main thing Chaotico waxes on about how he's going to destroy the invaders, and the main the main uh, G-man says uh, they are hostile. Terminate this contact. But then <laughs> Lonzak shoots the one that is spoken to, and he evaporates. And uh, the main the main one hits his little tricorder looking thing, and yeah. and, and uh, transports out in the same cloud of of color that he coalesced from originally. He'll learn there's no escape from Chaotica. Gather my space force. Power the death ray. At once, majesty. As together he and Arachnia will defeat this invasion from the fifth dimension. <laughs> uh, of note here, uh, so Lonzak, the goon, he's played by an actor named Nicholas Worth, who is a character actor who's been all over the place from, from shows from the 70s to the early 2000s, including two appearances, one uncredited, on a little show called The Rockford Files. Oh, delightful. We keep running into that show. I, I should watch it at some point. <laughs> it's weird how that keeps coming up. Oh, uncredited. Chicken Little is a Little Chicken, which I've heard is an excellent episode of The Rockford <laughs> Files, mm-hmm. and I should watch it. I'm willing to bet that he was perhaps a gangster in the background. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lions, Tigers, Monkeys, and Dogs is an episode of The Rockford Files that I, along with all the others, have not yet seen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So this is fun. It, uh, obviously, a lot of it is done for our benefit, uh, which is sort of the conceit of the hollow deck, anyways. Right. But uh, I, you know, I like the idea of a alien species trying to make contact and accidentally making contact with the hollow deck. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of stories about that where aliens come to Earth and the first thing they meet is a dog. And so that they assume that dogs are the, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. No, it's fun. More specifically, one that we can all relate to is on Sesame Street, the aliens that come and uh, meet the telephone mm-hmm, and try and mm-hmm. communicate with it. That's that's the trope that's being played. That's on here. the trope. Yeah, yeah. Captain's log, they have been stuck in this region for three days, and their systems are slowly all going offline as their power is is being consumed. And as you were alluding to earlier, Captain Janeway needs her coffee. Yeah. Um, So we have a short scene here in the the mess, or the commissary, I forget what it's called, with Neelix, um, who is probably my least favorite character on the show (laughs) well this is a good episode for you then yeah so he's just in this one and also his role here is actually quite fun um (laughs) just along the lines of you know 
you'd like to uh, increase the structural integrity of your house. Um, yeah. I always appreciate when there's a little bit of like, here's stuff about spaceships that the other shows just don't talk about or care about. Right. That actually are relevant to Voyager. To wit, that there are only four functioning lavatories for 150 people on this spaceship. The Bolians are apparently a big problem in this situation. <laughs> So this gets into, okay, a couple things about this scene. First, her coffee is such a classic scene where she comes in, demands a coffee from Neelix. It's like a, it's a sitcom scene. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I need a coffee. Neelix is about to tell her he, like, he can't. And then she's like, you have to give me a coffee. So then he goes over to the replicator and asks for a coffee. Like, it's, Neelix doesn't have to be in that negotiation. I was just talking to, to Liz about this, uh, the other night, because we're watch, watching a Next Generation episode, it, it's always so funny to me how at ten forward on the Enterprise, there's like people who are who are like civilians yeah. that like work at the bar, and so right. you give them your, their your order, so they just turn around and give the order to the replicator behind them, and turn around and give you what you just ordered, and it's like exactly in the far future where there is no money and everyone can do live their most fulfilling life. There's still this need to be served that like, right. must be fulfilled. <laughs> and so with Voyager, it's been established that Neelix actually cooks. And, right. and that's actually kind of important because the replicators take up energy. And it's also important that you're not using the replicators willy-nilly. Like, yes. It is important that there is kind of a central point of like someone apportioning replicator use because yeah, there's always there's so much energy. of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense on Voyager, yeah. in a way. Um, and so, like, that's nice, and that's the thing. And, and uh, I, I just saw a movie, I think it's, like, called Space Station 76 or something like that. But it it has this, it came out, like, in the past couple of years, and it's a, got a retro uh, sci-fi feel to it that, like, it's obviously playing off of that. And it, there's a character in it. It turns out her entire job is just to go to the computer every morning and select the meal that everyone's going to get (laughs) that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just there and available. And it's not like anyone else can't just select a meal, but it's yeah. Anyways, it's part of a joke in that show, but um, this is kind of a funny you know, way to handle that here. And, uh, and it plays into that whole coffee thing. But then the other kind of important bit to me is like you said the lavatory so we don't hear about this in star trek ever but here's the thing and this is a a fan theory i had for a long time that this episode dismisses or does it we often see like o'brien or um even going further back you uh um scotty scotty thank you standing or some technician standing in the teleporter room at that panel Hmm. right now it makes some sense that you might have someone there when you're doing important transports back and forth. But when you think about a cat, a, a crew of 150, or in the case of the Enterprise, considerably more than that. I don't know how what the it's like a thousand and something. Yeah, um, one thing that might be going on there is you'd be doing a lot of site to site transportation. <laughs> Anyways. I had this theory that nobody goes to the bathroom in Star Trek because there's a, a, a teleport technician who just takes care of that for you, <laughs> who just teleports the waste out of your body. Oh, so you don't even evacuate. It's just yeah, no. lock onto your bowels and yeah. 
it just just kind of like on a schedule going through the whole crew and just doing that over and over again. Mm. But then, of course, if you're on Voyager, you don't have that kind of power to waste. That's true. So uh, no pun intended. So you would have to actually create lavatories. Anyways, this is my whole thing. I really worry about how you poop on a spaceship. (laughs) I once asked an actual astronaut how that happened. And I got a delightful answer. They actually have to strap in. They have to use, on the, on the space station, they have to use a mirror mm-hmm. to make sure that they're lining up correctly. <laughs> <laughs> think about that next time you think about an astronaut. Anyways. Well, moving on. Um, Janeway leaves this serious problem in Neelix's capable hands, whatever it takes. And yeah. we do not see Neelix again for the rest of the episode. So perfect amount of Neelix. He's obviously killed people to reduce the cost. Those bullions, they're they're apparently the real problem. Um, So they've been adrift for three days. Apparently it's taken three days to power down the warp core. Um, Yeah. Which, okay, sure. Yeah. I guess that's different from just turning it off. I don't know. I don't know how spaceships work. Um, So they do finally get some movement using thruster power only, but then when they get close to the subspace subspace boundary, they slow down again and they cannot escape. They then start detecting power signatures of weapons fire from from within the ship. It's from the holodeck. That thing we ignored. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is where Janeway learns that uh, the Captain Proton program has been running for the last three days. Mm-hmm. because they were un- unable to shut it down. And so Janeway sends Tuvok and Tom to check it out and shut it down. So we get onto the holodeck into a horrible, battle-ravaged war scene. Well, I, I want to point out that the fact that Janeway sends Tom is great. Like, go pick up your toys. Acknowledging that if you're going to deal with this fiction in the holodeck, you need an expert in that fiction. Sure, yeah. It's it's really weird because when we have technical problems, say you're trying to play a video game mm-hmm. and it keeps crashing or something happening. You don't ask somebody who's an expert on the fiction in the <laughs> world of that video game to solve the problem. You're not like, I need the foremost Yoshi expert yes. on the planet to <laughs> figure out why Yoshi's Island keeps crashing or whatever. No, you you talk to somebody who knows something about the the hardware or the software that's running it, Mm. uh, but not if you're dealing with the holodeck. Right. And that is important. Back to Planet X, Um, Mrs. Goodhart is dead. She's just lying there, dead on the ground. (laughs) Poor character. I know. Uh, This uh, shakes Tom, uh, not because of any personal connection, really, but that she's not supposed to die. She's one of the mm-hmm. good guys, and good guys don't die in these stories. Yeah. They then run into the uh, damaged Satan's robot, which is one of Chaotica's <laughs> minions. Great. Uh, once uh, Tom repairs the vocalizer, um, it tells them that uh, the invaders from the fifth dimension, you know, have attacked. Mm-hmm. There's a good line where tu- so Tuvok is the. I think of him as the security officer. Technically, he has some other yeah. title. He's a he's a Vulcan, and he's very dry. And so, there's a good humorous line where he goes, "Your knowledge of this technology is most impressive." One of the things I'm loving because this is another peek into the Star uh, Star Trek 
world. Um, I think we might have discussed this at some time in a in a previous mm-hmm. episode, but like how Star Trek doesn't seem to have any fuses mm-hmm. uh, because whenever anything happens to the ship, people get electrocuted at the right the uh, control panels. Yeah, it's all yeah. like isolinear chips or whatever, which apparently yeah. just pass current straight through at all times. Yeah. <laughs> and so when he mentions a resistor, uh, Tuvok is like, "What's that?" Yeah. And, it's like, oh, okay. And they're talking about the neutronic circuitry that they that they deal with. I'm like, okay, it's all kind of coming together now. <laughs> like, this is a completely different technology uh, that doesn't have any of the safety measures right. <laughs> that we have. Apparently, that's what you need to, to voyage to the stars. Yeah. You're shifting power around all the time. You're yeah. reinforcing the structural integrity field. Exactly. If, if fuses were blowing, you know, you'd always, yeah. you'd be replacing them nonstop. Um so uh, aliens uh, or invaders from the fifth dimension aren't in this story. So Tom yeah. uh, figures that perhaps those distortions that he saw are where the invaders are coming from. And sure enough, as they find there's more of them, there's like five or six. There are these like hovering, glowing little swirls and then lightning starts shooting out of them. <laughs> um <laughs> Or, or balls of energy shoot out of them, and yeah. there's lightning also. Uh, but those are the photonic charges, and those are the weapons fire that was detected. Tom needs to get to the rocket ship. It may have sensors that can detect what <laughs> Voyagers cannot. Which, again, the logic of the holodeck, you know, it's, it's yeah. too recursive. It's like the holodeck has created a thing that can only detect certain things on the holodeck that the ship itself cannot de- Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> My only defense of that, not that I need to defend it or anything like that, but is that I, I have found <laughs> moments in my life where I'm like, I know that there's a way to do this, but instead I'm just going to pop into the software that... Sure, yeah. You, you know, like like maybe this is just the, the easy way to do it or whatever. And as we'll learn, it doesn't actually... It's not like he actually learned something that... No. Um, we have a brief scene where Seven of Nine and Harry Kim establish visuals so they basically can watch it <laughs> on a screen like they're watching TV. Uh, we see that the attack is coming from the subspace layer and that Chaotica is using his death ray to fight back. <laughs> so they can interact with each other, which is the yeah. important thing here. Uh, but that Queen Arachnia has not joined him, and that's probably why he's losing. This is Harry Kim filling in the plot from this this chapter. <laughs> and uh, Seven of Nine is not impressed with this, quote, harmless entertainment. Um, back on uh, Proton's rocket, he does have telegrams that have come in from planet Earth. Those are his special sensors, uh, through which he surmises that the invaders came in through the distortions. Like, okay, now, now we all know. Yeah, I think we knew that from the get-go, but yes. Our G-Man enters the rocket. Uh, I forget how this is framed, but he kind of comes in after them and uh, says that uh, 53 of his people have been killed. Yes. Tuvok tries to explain that this isn't real. It's a photonically based projection. And we get the great lines. All life is photonic. We are not. We are biochemical life forms. I'm not familiar with biochemical. <laughs> and then the, uh, the the alien has his little tricorder thing, and it does not register Tom and Tuvok as life form. They're yes. the illusions, and so we we get the you know the, the twist here that the the photonic aliens only view the holodeck as real, and they can't even detect the biochemical you know stuff. 
and I'm going to harp on this a little bit from this point on. Okay. <laughs> but this gets into that moral thing that you were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So they've established now that these people, 53 of which have died because of contact with the, the, right. the Voyager crew, uh, they're a form of life. They're a photonic form of life that we're going to very soon meet the doctor again, who is also a photonic form of life. So mm-hmm. it's something that they are aware of. But their relationship with the doctor is really weird. Yeah. And uh, here it's the same thing. Like, so the relationship with the doctor is really weird, but maybe possibly forgivable because the doctor is, in fact, a program. Right. Mm-hmm. So he he's a very sophisticated uh, like data mm-hmm. is very sophisticated program, uh, but fundamentally similar to what's going on in the holodeck and all the people they interact with the holodeck. Right. Like, but this did not come from the holodeck. This is actual life that right. exists outside of of their. They're from like a different layer of reality. Yeah, they're going to be tremendously cavalier about this <laughs> in in a way that's just like ah, you might not be the good guys here, right? So so there's a there's there's a branch of this of this story where it goes into a we are explorers we're here to make contact with life and yeah. your life and let's figure out a resolution here like that is one story this could have been that story right it is not this story is about <laughs> Janeway dressing up as arachnia that's what this yeah, story is exactly. about so <laughs> so it gets a little weird is what yeah. I'm saying. Like if you examine it from that point of view, you're like, whoa, wait a minute here. Galaxy brain take. Yes, let's get to the galaxy brain. <laughs> Somewhere between at least now and when I kind of stopped watching. So t- sometime between now-ish and the middle of season six-ish, there are multiple episodes exploring photonic yes. life, including a rebellion of photonic like creations against their makers insisting that they are also they have rights much like data as an android right it's established to have like human rights the doctor ends up caught up in this rebellion Mm -hmm. uh he he becomes a true believer in photonic rights and all this stuff so like this is a a direction that the show moves in and explores this idea of yeah if we make these programs that have physical substance, even though they're made of light, and then they end up gaining consciousness, what does that mean, right? Yeah, what, what is our responsibility here? And yeah. So this, and I think one of the big challenges of those episodes is that the whole Voyager crew just takes it as read that photonic light, like that photonic creations are not real people. Yeah. This is eventually presented as a prejudice like a racial prejudice that needs to be confronted right. and overcome. And I think here, this is like the, my galaxy brain take is in this episode, are we seeing just the baseline callousness with which ah, there we go in the same way that I'm like, I would never say that a, that, a, that if I'm watching TV, the images on the TV are not real people. I would never right. think of them as real people. I wouldn't treat them as real people. And I have absolutely no problem turning off the TV because who cares right now. As we are looking at each other on a monitor, right. I'm having the exact same feeling. Like, this is not a real person I'm right. talking to. This you, is... As soon as you turn this off, I've, I cease to exist. And that doesn't bother you. And the people listening to this podcast, we don't exist to them. It's not a, I'm having a Are you crisis. having an existential crisis? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, this is kind of seeding the, the that whole concept where it's like, oh, we don't think photonic stuff is real. It's just projection. Right. Yeah. No, it's good. Just That's saying. It's good. 
I'll stick with that galaxy brain take. I think that works. It's it's laying the groundwork for those later those later episodes. Well, as we were just talking about photonic life uh, in our next scene, um, Janeway is summarizing the situation with everyone. The controls are still offline, so they can't just turn it off. But maybe the doctor can talk to them because he's photonic, so they'll treat him as a real person. Yeah, so here we go. <laughs> Tom Barris suggests letting it all play out and helping the aliens defeat Chaotica because once they win... Because their thing is like, we're being attacked by by this Chaotica guy, and he's going to pursue us if we leave, so we can't leave. Like, we have to win. Right. So Tom Bear's like, yeah, let's help them win, and then once there's no longer a threat, they'll leave. However, Arachnia, queen of the spider people, is the only one that can make this all work, because, and I'll probably, maybe I'll cut it in, because he lays it all out with all the fun terminology the destructo beam on my rocket ship can disable the death ray but only if someone gets inside the fortress of doom and can shut down the lightning shield and who's supposed to do that arachnia queen of the spider people yes um so someone has to take on the character of arachnia janeway looks at seven of nine everyone else looks at janeway (laughs) then she's just like all right i guess it's our only option (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i definitely made a note about that I was like, oh, here we go. Uh, the captain is obviously the only person on this ship of 150 people. That, <laughs> like, there's not even another Captain Proton fan on this right. ship that could possibly go in. Um, so, yeah, but that's, you know, that's a conceit that this, this, uh, that we see all the time in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say, because your galaxy brain take has got, a, got my brain galaxy <laughs> brain taking now. Uh, because it just occurred to me that this is the end of Huckleberry Finn, in which Tom Sawyer, not Tom Paris, but Tom Sawyer, uh, knows that the Civil War is over, but holds on to the fiction that they still have to free Jim. And it makes for the most excruciating 60 pages in literary history. It's... <laughs> It's horrible. It's this ending where, because Tom Sawyer wants to play at freeing a slave, they basically keep Jim locked in kind of a slave situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's this same setup where they're like, how do we stop this massacre? Well, let's play Captain Proton. Right. Let's keep this fiction up. Let's extend the massacre until... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's enough on that. Um, we have a brief visit with the doctor where he needs Bolana to reprogram him a disguise as the president of Earth in order to play yes. this role. Uh, Tom Paris explains the rules of the setting to Janeway as they <laughs> walk and talk. This is very like, all right. So in this game, uh, characters are called yes. heroes and <laughs> hit points are called health. And, you know, like <laughs> especially because it's it's like it's ray guns, not phasers. Yeah. It's this weird sci-fi term, not the weird sci-fi term you've been using. (laughs) It's ray gun, not phaser. Um, Imagizer, not view screen. Earthlings, not Terrans. Got it. And uh, another thing. These villains always have a trick up their sleeve. Trap doors, secret weapons. It's the holodeck. I can't be hurt by weapons. That doesn't mean that you can't be restrained or thrown into the dungeon of pain. Noted. Use grandiose language, such as the clever fiendishness of your evil plan is brilliant. <laughs> Janeway is not impressed with how Tom spends his free time, but he, uh, but she, she, she'll do it. She's on board. And yeah. uh, he mentions that if all else fails, 
Arachnia can uncork her vial of pheromones. Yes. <laughs> In previous uh, chapters, she has gifted Chaotica with her, with the pheromones that cause him to fall in love with her or whatever. Um, this will be important later. Mm-hmm. On the holodeck. Ah! Full power to the death ray. So this is all super fun. It's all scenery chewing, purple prose. Like, yeah. People who are fans of this wrote this, and the, the actors are really just hamming it up and having fun, and it is fun stuff to watch. Um, Janeway arrives as Arachnia in a hell of a dress. <laughs> I love that collar. It's so good. Yeah. There's lots of good little gags, like Chaotica shows her to the throne, and she sits down and goes, somehow I feel comfortable here, because it's like a big chair, like the captain's (laughs) chair. Uh, She sees the vial of pheromones and sneaks it away when no one's looking, just in case. And then story-wise, she floats, uh, lowering the lightning shield so that her fleet of spider ships can land and pay their respects before joining the fight against the, the invaders. But he will only lower it if she agrees to marry him. <laughs> and so, my dear, the day you have always dreamed of has arrived. The day you become Bride of Chaotica! <laughs> there we go. The title. Um, I do like the pause when she's like, my fleet of fighter ships. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I made a note here, and this, I think, carries throughout, which is that the performance here is the by uh, Kate Mulgrew is yeah. fantastic. Like, yeah. we see Janeway going in and out of character as Arachnia. Yeah. When she's not kind of on, like she's looking around and analyzing the situation and, you know, thinking on her feet. But then when she has to talk to Chaotica, she becomes, you know, Arachnia. Like it's all, and it's all very like carried through her visual, like her, her facials and her carriage and everything. It's, uh, it's really good. Um, for something that really is a very silly story. The the other thing I kind of loved about this was when Tom was going through to like telling her about going into it and and you know all of that it did that fairy tale thing where it said here are all the things that you as an audience are about to right. see yeah like mm-hmm. just so you don't feel like well why is this happening mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't it's nonsensical but but we told you that it was going to happen. So here it is happening, right. and it just makes sense, and it works. Uh, it's a very useful thing that I think uh, sometimes people feel like their fiction is too clever for it, and it's like, mm-hmm. no, just do it. Just yeah, just tell us what's going to happen, and then show us it happening. It's fine. Like just give us the stuff, and then let us enjoy the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a mystery. There's not subversion. There's not really. I mean, there's kind of irony, but not really like yeah for the purpose of showing how smart you are. It's more just like a celebration of the silliness. Yeah, exactly. But it, like, if you hadn't set that up, watching all of this, we would have been like, I, it wouldn't have been like really bad. But we would have been like, what? Well, why does Janeway know this? Things would have to be explained as it goes. Like she sees yeah. the vial, she's like, the vial of pheromones. And this way, it's just all packaged there, and it's very economical. Yeah. Outside the fortress on Planet X, the Doctor makes contact with the Photonic Alien. He is the president of Earth on a mission of peace. 
And so he presents this plan that they have the common enemy of Chaotica, Captain Proton is their champion and is going to destroy the Death Ray, but the aliens' weapons that they're shooting through their rifts will endanger Captain Proton's rocket. So they need to stop shooting so that Captain Proton can take out the Death Ray and then Chaotica will be defeated. Now, this, to me, felt like the most egregious moment in all of it. (laughs) The fiction that they're all enjoying is presumably alien to these photonic beings. Right. Right. That they are seeking new life and they come across uh, Dr. Chaotica and the whole thing. And Chaotica's like, I will destroy you. And now they're fighting for their lives from their perspective. Yeah. It's not like they have a common understanding of things. I guess what it is is that this is a con that they're running. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it's based on uh, them having a point of reference that is similar to sci-fi from the Earth in the 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, as far as they know, that's not at all what it is. Although, like, who knows? The form they're taking is very Earth-like. So maybe, who knows? But the point is, it just there's something about it that it's hinging on them convincing them of this lie that in no way even seems like it would clarify things for them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an appeal to material interest, right? Like, you're fighting this guy Chaotica, and you're going to continue fighting him even though your people are dying, because you fear that he's going to come after you if you don't fight him now. Right. We will defeat him for you, and then you can leave. Right? Like, that's that's, that's the deal. I get what the deal is. It's just the the context for it is all from this fiction that they have no contact with anyways. And they're, sure. and they're, they're maintaining that fiction as if that were... Well, they have to maintain the fiction because they don't... Because they yeah. think that it's... That this is a world that they've come to, right? It's as if that explanation made any more sense than, hey, this is a computer program that we have running that you've stumbled into. Right. We'll shut it down. If you just stop doing this. The the crux of the premise, though, right, is like... That they don't believe that these people exist. Right. So the crux of the premise is like, if someone comes in and is like, like, Epi, your your house is in the way of an important development, and we need to bulldoze it. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, I live on this street. No, no, well, you can't see it, but, you know, (laughs) it's really, really important that we bulldoze your house. And you're like, no, you you can't bulldoze my house. Right. Uh, so then they have to come back and be like, okay, he can't see <laughs> the interstate that we're building directly through his house. How are we going to convince you to abandon your house? I don't know why I'm going down this path. I can, I mean, okay, I get. I I will buy it for the sake of this episode. <laughs> you get a series of letters saying we're going to bulldoze your house, and you're like, who's sending me these letters? And right. then like someone comes to your door and is like, okay, here's the deal: your house is on a sinkhole, and then your house starts <laughs> shaking, and you're like, oh, yeah, maybe they've engineered this to get you out of the house so they can do their fifth dimensional bypass through it or whatever. Yeah, they should have just mentioned the fifth dimensional bypass. I honestly, know. right? I guess the, the <laughs> failure of imagination is being like, you know, we have the capacity of imagination to envision energy beings and photonic life forms and things that we can't sense but nevertheless perceive while these photonic life forms apparently if it doesn't show up on their sensors they're like oh that this doesn't this doesn't exist right which is in itself uh, uh, a bigoted view i would say 
going back yeah. to my earlier galaxy brain take. Um, anyway, we end with the alien agreeing and saying, Captain Proton may proceed. Um, there's a brief scene where Tom Paris is doing all the things in the rocket to prepare. Um, the only thing that, that stood out to me here is that the doctor arrives to tell him that it worked and he manages to pack three president puns into three yeah. lines. <laughs> it's good. Including that his performance was, quote, unimpeachable. So proud of himself. Maybe there were some earlier and I hadn't noticed, but now I started noticing all the uh, in-universe transitions, like the swipe cuts and Oh, yeah. And stuff. Also, we didn't mention it, but everything in the Captain Proton scenes has score music, adventure score underneath it. And it's black and white. As well as being black and white. So we have the swipe cut to Chaotica and Arachnia. She keeps on bringing up the lightning shield. They share their plight with uh, the the incompetence of their inferiors, where you always have to have things done yourself. This is a great line, given the fact that she's in the position right. that she's in, right? She's the captain of the the ship, but she has to do it. Yeah. I, I thought that was a, a like almost a genuine moment <laughs> between Janeway and Dr. Chaotica. We have our big exciting uh climax here um proton is preparing to attack they're going to target his ship with the death ray but then arachnia well not climax pre-climax if you will yeah arachnia then takes him out with a with a swift blow and holds chaotica ray gun point uh (laughs) no no lower the shield oh no betrayal Lonzak tries to kill her with his own ray gun but because they're on the holodeck for for once the safeties are not disengaged, and so the real people cannot be harmed by the photonic <laughs> stuff. So she is unharmed by uh, yes. Lonzak's ray gun. A, a rarity on our podcast. Right. <laughs> However, there are confinement rings that are activated to bind her and trap her. And Chaotica cackles with glee as the death ray hits Proton's rocket. Um... Apparently, this coincides with increased activity from the aliens' weapons, which are causing them to get pulled further into subspace. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they do. As they do. We we need to have danger to the ship as well as the fictional characters, right? Yeah. Or else it's not Star <laughs> Trek. Janeway is, uh, or Arachnia, is tied up next to the throne, but she's able to get the pheromones out of her sleeve and uncorks them. The the alluring scent drifts to Lonzak, and he is compelled to her side. Your beauty is maddening. <laughs> Entangle me in your way. Get me out of here and I'll do all that and more. At once, my queen... <laughs> she leans into this arachnia breaks free grabs lonzak's weapon and takes out all the guards and then finally forces chaotica to turn off the lightning shield and then there's this moment where clearly you know in universe there is now more banter and he just and she's just like sorry and just shoots him with the ray gun <laughs> which is very funny to me yes uh this does not kill him. It does kind of take him down and he rolls around and he crawls over to the death ray. But uh, Captain Proton's rocket targets it with their weapon and they shoot it and it bursts into this big cackling electricity ball and Chaotica's touching it when it's hit. So he is, is electrocuted along with the, the death ray and slumps to the ground. Uh, we cut back to the bridge where we are told that the distortions are closing. And that the ship is realigning with normal space. 
<laughs> the aliens have left, I guess, and they clear yeah. the subspace layer. But Janeway wants one more minute on the holodeck as Tom, Harry, and the Doctor come join her in Chaotica's lair. Chaotica, of course, has a final speech. Arachnia, death as you know it has no hold on me. My defeat is but a temporary setback. I shall return to seek my revenge. He doesn't give up, does he? They never do. Our love was not meant to be, my queen. But be warned. You have not seen the last of Chaotica. It's good. It's good. Then we have a fanfare and a screen in the holodeck. <laughs> it's like a screen that they all can see that's in Chaotica's lair. Yes. Plays the fanfare and shows the end. And then there's a beat. And then it transforms into a question mark as we get cackling laughter of Chaotica. And then we cut directly into the end credits for Voyager. Uh, yeah, I like the, the the bit, the question mark bit. There's no more Dr. Chaotica, I think. I mean, obviously, neither of us has finished the series. But. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he apparently returns in a season seven episode. All right. Okay. So I got to keep going then. Mm-hmm, got to make mm-hmm. it through this. So there are four Voyager episodes where the adventures of Captain Proton are in them. Mm -hmm. And this is the third of those. And then it's referenced, you know, as a line or whatever in another six Voyager episodes and apparently an Enterprise episode. Oh, well, Mm. I mean, obviously it's it's fiction from before all the treks, right? I'm surprised we don't mention it all the time nowadays. Um, apparently, Captain Proton took many of his direct influences from a specific serial slash movie, Zombies of the Stratosphere, which was recut into a movie called Satan's Satellites in 1952 and 1958, respectively. So mm. keep an eye out for that. Anyhow, you too can go to Memory Alpha and look up all the trivia about the adventures of Captain <laughs> Proton. It's all in web pages. Yeah, that is our episode. That was fun. Uh, definitely enjoyed watching Janeway ham it up. Yep, uh, yep, yep. Certainly seemed like she was having a lot of fun. So good for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of all of those moral quandaries aside, <laughs> at least the crew were enjoying themselves. Yeah. I mean, I guess when you get right down to it, they weren't causing any more ha- like the goal of ending the Captain Proton program was itself going to end the loss of life from the alien. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, there is something to the fact that they made that contact and then decided to start a war is uh, yeah. <laughs> a little suspect. I, I blame uh, Tom Paris and Harry Kim for not uh, when the anomalies first show up mm-hmm. uh, being like, well, this is obviously a first contact mission. So right, right. Yeah. We'll, we'll go and deal with it the way you're supposed to deal with it. As opposed to we will transport off the holodeck, leave it running and not yeah. mention it to anyone <laughs> for three days. Though, to be fair, I, I have done that. I've started up a program and been like, <laughs> this is taking a while. I'll just go open a different window and I'll mm-hmm. come back to it later. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think that on Voyager, at least. So, you know, it's established in other things that there's like holodeck like credits. Like, you know, again, they don't have unlimited power. So one of the a currency for the crew is recreation time. And they can like give each other credits for holodeck time and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So, 
you'd think that there'd be something I understand the controls were disengaged. However, <laughs> you'd think there'd be something where like if there's no one on the hollow deck it just turns off. Right. You know, <laughs> some kind of uh some kind of thing. Uh, but, I mean yeah. at this point I assume that the holodeck also runs uh the, the, some portion of the holodeck runs part of the engine room. Right. <laughs> part, of, part of the engine is just a photonic engine that does what they need it to do. Yeah. And if they turn that off, then they're done. It's like everything's intertwined. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah they just have like a, the holodeck runs a simulation program of a, a fission mm-hmm. reactor. Right. That produces the energy they need to run the ship, including the holodeck yeah. that runs the fission reactor. Clearly, why didn't they think of this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, a fun, fun episode, a uh, fun departure to a, a slightly different flavor of holodeck episode. Yeah, yeah I enjoyed it's it. It's not that the holodeck takes over the ship. It's not that people get trapped on the holodeck, but it is that, that first encounter, that first contact with aliens who are like, oh, the holodeck is reality. Like, that's a fun, that's a fun premise. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely a fun premise. Uh, and uh, the sort of, sci-fi that you know i'd love seeing more of just the the weirdness the like oh wait this doesn't make any sense to to us we got to figure it out uh as opposed to machinations of some giant space empire Mm -hmm. trying i don't know i feel like i'm gonna start criticizing all of sci-fi now for some reason (laughs) and i don't mean to so i will stop that line of thought apologies to space empires everywhere Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think uh, we've pretty much covered all the high points of uh, yeah what 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 came to mind for me watching this episode. Do you have any other thoughts on the Bride of Chaotica? Exclamation point! It was fun. I actually like left it curious about more Captain Proton, uh, like the actual Captain Proton stories that this was. Like the serial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, alas, I. I, I I'll have to mix it with my Star Trek. Yeah, well, you can't have everything. Yes. All right. Well, uh, thanks to uh, all of our listeners from the standard four and perhaps even fifth dimension. Yes. <laughs> Always a good time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go fix up Satan's robot and make sure that uh, <laughs> that our good buddy is in t- tip-top working order. And then uh, we will be back next time with another holodeck episode from the Star Trek universe. I don't know how that theme goes. I don't know it offhand. I think it goes something like.